your Sunday schools and those of us here, we're going to continue on in the Foundations book as uh, we pick up in the story, or the, not the story, uh, the, well, it could be, it's about our story, I guess, uh, on evangelism. And uh, we want our goal with the Foundations material, and I hope, I hope you've caught this a little bit over the last year or so as we talk through everything that's been going on. Um, we want our desire is to help you fulfill your biblical mandate to make disciples. We are all required by God. That is part of what we are to do as believers, as we'll look at a little bit more this morning, to say you are involved to be involved and how can we help you personally make disciples. And so we're using these different tools, these different books. We're going through the Foundations book that we've been, we've been going through. But there are other opportunities we will bring up in the future called The Walk. That's sort of the next, you know, when you've went through the foundations and now the person you're discipling, they're like, well, what's next? What can we do more? Uh, we're, we're developing more opportunities and more resources that will be available for you uh, to be able to use. The ones that we've went through and we say for the most part, I mean, there's, there's just no way barring we write every single bit of material that every single piece of material is, even going through the book, how many different times we said, well, we would probably say it this way, or you want to think about this. And it's not that it's blasphemous or heresy, it's just differently how we uh, interpret some different things. But this material, good, solid material that we've went through, and the other, the other items that we'll be putting out will be, you know, vetted, so to speak, by some of us on the staff, just looking and saying, hey, here's a good, here's a good book, here's a resource that you can use with, with the person that you're discipling. So we've went through all of these topics over the last two years. What was intended to be over a year has been stretched out through two plus years, and we all know why, and we don't need to rehash any of that, but we know why, and uh, we're there. And so we're working through the concept of evangelism, sharing the gospel, sharing our faith, helping others come to an understanding of Jesus Christ. And there's, there's lots of different ways. There's, there's, we talk about institutional evangelism, things that we do here, you know, a program or an event to bring people in and start introducing them to <clears throat> the church, but more importantly, to Jesus Christ. And that, that has its place. But the hands-down, consistent, most productive way of evangelism is personal one-to-one evangelism. It, it, it shows relationship, it builds character, it builds trust, and that is what we're, we're called to be doing, and we want to be focusing as a church body to say, hey, this is, this is part of what we're to be doing. We're to be one-on-one introducing people to Jesus Christ, and then the church comes alongside of you, and you come alongside the church to help build those people up. But it is intentionally designed, and that is a, it's not really a paradigm shift for us because we've always been talking about this, but it is an emphasis that we as a church and leaders are trying to make and trying to say, this is, it's not just us five on staff who are supposed to be doing this. I'm encouraged by the numbers of you who are personally getting involved in discipleship, who are getting actively involved. And I understand it goes in the seasons of life. Discipleship is best done in the rhythms of your life as you go through and, and different events happen. There are moments where it's just, it's not ideal to be able to bring somebody and be able to disciple them. I understand that. But there are times that it is, and we need to be preparing ourselves and being ready to not only share the gospel, but to bring people to a closer and stronger walk with Jesus Christ. So we pick up on page 198, where Pastor left off last week, 
talking about our motivation for evangelism. Now, I really think like with the group here, we probably don't need to go through this, but at the same time, we want to cover some of it so that as you go through with somebody and you have that opportunity to talk with them through this, this material, you're feeling comfortable with it. So God's given what is called the Great Commission, an order. It's a responsibility to his disciples so that they would carry out the gospel to all generations. The commission, as we look at it, it was given at the very end of Christ's earthly presence. It is, he's wrapping up his ministry, and he gives the great commission in Matthew 28, but it's also in other passages as well. And he gives parallel ideas to it uh, in other passages. It's report, report, uh, reported, repeated uh, in Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke, Acts. When something's repeated often, what do you think that means? What, to you, what is that? It's important, isn't it? It's, it's, and who saw it as important? Okay, God. The disciples did. They, they understood the importance of what God was saying here, so much so that Matthew, Mark, and Luke record it. And Luke records it twice, once in Luke and then a variation of it in Acts. So they, they see the importance. They understood what Christ was telling them. Christ was saying, here's your responsibility. Here's your commission. Here's what I want you to do. And they caught that. And now they're passing it down to the next generation, to the next generation. And I'm so glad that people through generation after generation have caught that because we are a product of people before us understanding the importance of the gospel and the importance of sharing the gospel with people. So Matthew 28, what are the four main action words? As you look through that, you, you probably could jump them out. What, what would you say the four main action words in the Great Commission are? Go, teach, baptize, teach them to observe, okay? So the, it's interesting, those are go, teach, baptize, teaching, you know, teach to observe. There's one, there's actually one clear imperative. Now the other ones have the sense of a command, but there's one clear command, and it is go therefore, and the word teach all nations is make disciples of all nations. That's what the the mathetes, the word that's used there. So God's clear imperative to the disciples is go make disciples. How are we going to do that? And and what's interesting is the word go there. It's while you are going, or as you have gone, it's understood, it's expected, it's sort of an assumption by Christ that you are going to be doing this in your life. Not just waiting for that aha moment, but saying, hey, part of my life in every single facet when I go through life is to be about making disciples. And so he assumes that and he says, we make disciples and while we're doing that, we're gonna baptize them. We're gonna teach them to observe all the things that they have learned. And, and that goes to, to the teacher-student, the teacher-disciple the teacher perspective. If I, if I have not learned, then how can I teach? It, it doesn't work. You know, if, if one of you said, hey, Pastor Art, can you, uh, can you uh, tutor my kid in pre-calculus? Sure, no problem. You, your kid would miserably fail because that is, that is not any, I, I was like done after like my second year of algebra. Not my forte. That would be because I haven't learned it. I don't understand it. The same thing is true when we look at disciple making. Why, why take the arduous task for two years of going through this book? Almost at times, some of you said painstakingly. Going through, making sure. Because as you learn it, 
it gives you and I the opportunity then to be responsible to teaching. You're like, well, I, there's no way. And is this, a, is this a fair assumption? Some of you feel that there's no way I can teach that material like Pastor Burgraff has taught it with all the different nuances and all the different things that he's brought out. There's no way I could do that. Anybody ever feel that way? Okay, that's okay. You don't have to. That's, that's, that's where he, you have a guide that you can go through and you can answer the questions in there. If you don't remember some of the little things that he brought out as an aside or that I brought out and said, hey, you might want to think, that's okay. That's what, that's what the, it gives you, a, curriculum is, is beautiful because it gives you a safety net. As we look and we say, hey, you can trust this, go through. Yeah, there might be little caveats here or there. Then what happens is, as you're going through, you're like, well, I don't remember. That's okay. And they ask you a question that you don't know. You're like, um, uh, oh no, I failed at making a disciple. No, you haven't. All, all you've done is now you have an opportunity to say, you know what, that's a really great question. I don't have an answer right now but I know where we can get the answers. And you can come to one of us as, as pastors and ask. You can go to another church member and say, do you remember on this page we talked about this? What do you, and, and it's building the body one-to-one. We're building each other up. And then as we build you up, you can go back and build that other person up. That's the idea of making disciples. Our process of becoming a disciple is never finished. You're never, you're never going to arrive at being the complete disciple of Jesus Christ, and neither am I. None of us will. So as we continue to grow together, we can continue to help each other become, become more like Jesus Christ. So we notice the four verbs here, you know, literally having gone, then he commands them to make disciples. So whom are they going to, to do it? They're to go to all nations. Now, we may not be the one who's called to go to the furthest of nations, but yet that should be our mindset. That's a, a basis of missions. We don't just support missions because it makes us feel good. We support missions because it is, it is foundational from Christ's command to go to all nations. So as we look, it's done to all nations. We're to teach them to deserve, observe all the things that Jesus has taught. Jesus has already promised to assist the believers. Did you catch that in there? He talks about that I am going to, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth, and I will be with you always, even until the end of the world. So the authority to do this is given to us by the authority of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, you may feel nervous. You may feel like you don't have all the answers, but that's okay, because I'm with you. I will help you in this endeavor. The Holy Spirit is designed to bring those things to remembrance, help you in those moments. But a lot of it for us is stepping out by faith. By taking that step and saying, okay, I don't feel completely worthy or adequate to do this, but God has commanded me to do it, so I want to figure out how I can be part of this process of making disciples and evangelizing the lost. And it is a faith step at times. I, I, I understand that completely. From early on in my ministry and early on just taking those moments, it was, it's nerve-wracking. It still is nerve-wracking when I share the gospel. Because I don't want to mess it up. I want to, you know, try and make sure I get the right thing at the right time and say the, the, I always won't. I may not, but that's okay. I'm going to follow the commands that Christ has given to me. His last command in verse 20, it tells us that we're to work on disciple making, teaching. Now, when you compare Matthew to Mark, 
there's a little bit extra and a little bit, there's some similarities, there's some differences. Mark says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What are the similarities that, that come out from the, the Great Commission we're used to in Matthew to this? What are we to do? Go, preach. Every creature implies what? All nations, everywhere, every person. We're, we're going to all these people. The word preach, okay, that's the word that's used there is evangelion. It's the word you get evangelized from. It's not the word kerux, which is what we do up here. It's not, it's not a proclaiming through preaching. It is we are all to go out and to de- declare that. The very words spoken to believers, you, you, got, you guys got them all. You did, did a great job there. Um, Luke, as you keep going through the passage, in, or the book, the text there, uh, what similarities do we see with Luke's commission? He says, Thus and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in the name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. What similarities do you see there? Preach all nations. Okay, now Luke gives us a little bit more dynamic with the gospel, but we see these are the very words of Christ again. They're spoken to believers. We're to take it with all, to all nations, all the people. We see that consistent repetition that occurs with the gospel. But he gives some additional details. Did you notice he talks about we are to be witnesses, not of ourselves, not of our organization. I, I think this is so vital for American Christianity to understand. What, what does it say? It is written thus, and it has behooved Christ to understand, or Christ to suffer, that we're witnesses. Who are we witnesses of? We're witnesses of Christ. We do not need to just get a person to our church. We do not just get, need to get a person to uh, recognize that church is important. We don't win a person to a religion. It is bringing them to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Sure, the church can help facilitate that. But there are too many people in America who just go to church and they feel because they just go to church that they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is not what the gospel is about. The gospel is about bringing somebody into a relationship with Jesus Christ through repentance, through forgiveness of sins, through the, 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 the dynamics of what Jesus Christ has done. As we're, as we're talking with people and as we're witnessing to them, it's not just you need to go to my church, you need to go to my church. Sure, I'd love you to come to church with me. That's great. I have a, I have a pastor friend who he's very adamant. He's like, don't you dare invite your friends to church until you've invited them to Christ. That's, it's an interesting perspective that he has. Because he's like, all you're teaching your friends is that church is important, not the relationship with Jesus Christ. I, I, I personally think he overstates it a little. But at the same time, I appreciate his perspective to say, I want and desire the people of my congregation to be actively involved in bringing people to Christ, not to my church. Because the follow-up in disciple-making, what is the process? When a person gets saved, there to next be what? Baptized, and baptized brings you in yoke with what? A church. And so I appreciate the perspective he's taking, and I think it's important that we remember it's not just about getting somebody into the pew. 
although we want to get them into the pew to hear the gospel. I understand that, and that's why I think there's some over, overstatement. But do you, under, you understand what he's trying to get us at? It's our responsibility to introduce people to Jesus Christ, not simply to a religion, not simply to a body of people. But those, that body, that church, can be part of bringing that person to, to Jesus Christ. The message is to include the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's to include repentance. We, can't, we cannot forget repentance when we're sharing the gospel. Repentance is that idea that we understand there's a, there's a changing, there's a turning, that I move away from, my, my direction is towards sin, I'm, I'm bent towards sin, I need to repent, turn from my sin, and turn to uh, Jesus Christ. And then it promises the forgiveness or the remission, the removal of those, those sins. So Luke gets us a little bit more detailed into what's involved in, in the Great Commission that, that's there. And he even talks about the content of the gospel, that Christ suffered, that he died, he buried, he was rose, rose again. Don't get lost in these 30-point programs of you need to make sure you get all of this in in order to share the gospel. The gospel is pretty simple and straightforward that because I'm a sinner, I am doomed. I am damned. There is, a, there is a penalty for my sin, and that's where Jesus Christ steps in. He suffered on the cross. He died. He buried. He, was, he rose again on the third day, and those who respond properly through repentance, they receive forgiveness of their sins. And so you can simply walk through. Learn, learn. And, and at the end of the book, if you flip over to page... Oh, uh, I had it marked here, and I just put the paper clip in the wrong spot. Um, I think it's page 206. Yeah, 204, 205. We're not going to cover it today, um, but you can go through that. The, he has a method of evangelism. He has some principles, some points to, to remember. You know, down at the end of uh, page 205, where he talks about uh, that there's six basic truths. The, what's God's purpose, man's problems, sin's consequence, Christ's payment, our pardon, God's promise. It could be something like that that you memorize and you choose, all right, I'm going to learn that so that I have it in my head. It could be that you learn something where, you know, I've taught the teens in the past, there's God, man, Christ response. And so you, you just remember those, that my relationship with God, it was ruined because of sin. Christ came, died. God, man, uh, man is the sinfulness. Christ came and died. And then the response is I have to, to respond to the gospel. So it could be something like that. There's lots of different tools out there. There's, there's Bible apps you can put on your phone. Just get familiar with one or two of them. Don't, don't look and say, I need to learn every single thing, or I need to learn about every single world religion before I could ever share the gospel. Just start with the gospel because it's the word of God that does not return void. Let's use, let's use the gospel, use the simplicity of the gospel, but even with that, using our lives to shine. We'll talk about that in just a moment. So what was the message to be preached according to this passage? All, among all the nations, where was it to be done? Among all the nations, beginning where? Jerusalem. Why, why did it begin at Jerusalem? That's where they were at, right, exactly. I mean, it's not, it's not rocket science, but yet... I know it's been asked in two different Bible studies already that have been doing this, like, what was so important about Jerusalem? And they were just like, well, that's, that's where all the Christians were. That's where they were meeting. That's what was happening. And it's, it's, so it's come up a couple times there, and it might seem like a duh to us, but to somebody who's never worked through the, the geography or the understanding, and it's such a neat opportunity to all of a sudden, they're like, oh, that makes so much sense. Thank you. 
when you get those thank yous in disciple making where you've just like opened up a whole new perspective, they're, they're refreshing. They're exciting to, to take part. So when Jesus, the disciples were called by Christ, what does, what does this mean? They're to be witnesses. The one who testifies or proclaims the truth of something else. So they, they do that. And in Acts 1, we're, ta- we're, ta- we're told about that. That you are to be witnesses, both in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And you have Christ's blueprint, so to speak, for carrying out the gospel. Jerusalem is our local area. What's, what's our Jerusalem? Maybe. Some of, you are, some of it's Lebanon. Some of you it's Mannheim. Some of you it's Mount Joy. But it's, it's, in your, it's your home area. It's where, where you're locally at. Judea, Samaria, now we're talking Lebanon County, maybe Lancaster County, a little Pennsylvania, maybe a little bit of America. It, it expands. And I think we have to remember, too, that as a church, we need, to, we need to look and say, and as believers, how can we be involved, not just in, in this, is, this is a personal perspective, this is not a Faith Baptist perspective. Do I need to put a big caveat here? Okay, this is just me personally. I need to figure out personally, and I think churches need to figure out too, perspectively. We're good at Jerusalem sometimes, and we're good at uttermost parts of the earth, but because we're all about, we're just foreign missions, or we're just, we, we, what about our Pennsylvania? How do we help the gospel proceed in Pennsylvania, New York, Maryland, Ohio, and around the region in the United States? Sometimes we can look at the two and we forget, wait, there's a full commission here in, in our expanding areas. So how can I personally be involved maybe in helping areas in other areas of Pennsylvania, maybe other churches, maybe other, you know, that's one of the reasons, you know, we look at today, why is pastor down in Reading? Because there's a church down there that's struggling, that needs, that needs some help, and so he's helping to establish and get them, get them through a rocky time, and we're going to, you know, staff will be going down for the next month. Why? Well, they're not, they're not our Jerusalem. They're, they're, not, they're not worldwide missions, but what are they? They're a fellow group of believers who are trying to establish themselves, make disciples in Judea and Samaria. So there is, there is that importance for us to be able to look, look in those areas as well. How does this command relate to you? You ever think about that? What are your specific local, regional, or international mission fields? Don't answer that one out loud. Think about it, though, for a second. And how can you then carry out the Great Commission in each of those places? And that'll be a different perspective as you answer that, even with the person you're discipling. This may be the very first time that they're brought into the perspective of, wait, I have a responsibility or I have a, yeah, a responsibility to somehow be involved with Christians around the world. Well, I knew you guys put flags up at your church, but I didn't understand why. And now all of a sudden you get to start talking about missions. You get to start talking about how other believers around the world are still practicing. This isn't just an American thing. So for, for a new believer, this, this passage, these passages that sometimes for us can become old hat because we hear them. We hear them every March. You know, it's missions month. All right, here we go. We know we're going to get the Great Commission. 
But from a new believer's perspective, whoa, wait, I have this responsibility given to me from God? And I don't wanna, I don't wanna be the one to diminish that zeal, that fervor. Is it a fair statement for those of you who got saved? Um, maybe, maybe not when you were three or four, but you got excited about telling people about Jesus Christ. And as time goes on, our zeal tends to, to wane. Well, now a new believer is, they're all excited. Well, slow down there. You know, this missions thing, it's really hard. This evangelism thing, it's really hard. You don't, no, like, encourage them. Yeah, go, tell them. You know what, you're not gonna get it right the whole time. But that's okay. Share the gospel, get it out there. And the same thing's true for us. Just share it, get it out there. And, and we, so we see that. What's interesting here is in Acts 8, Saul's consenting to his death, um, the, to Stephen here, Stephen's death. And then what happens is those who were being persecuted, they were scattered. And as they were scattered, what did they do? Verse 4. They went everywhere preaching the word. There is a truism in history, church history, that when persecution happens, the gospel flourishes. That when, when difficult times arise and Christians are faithful in those difficult times, the gospel goes forward because people look and go, don't you, are, are you blind? Don't you see how bad life is right now? And yet you have joy and yet you're telling me about, G- and you're telling me how Jesus can help me. And all of a sudden they see the reality. They see the, 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 the veracity, the truthfulness of your claim to Christ. That you're willing to have joy through some of the most difficult times. And that's the word they used here again is to evangelize. They went, they were scattered. They preached it. So then it takes you through, and I, I like what he does here. It's very simple. It may seem very kindergarten at first to you. But again, think about a new believer. How would you, how would you fill in this blank? Okay? It's the job of every believer, and Scripture uses all these different pictures. So the first one, Luke, Luke uh, 24, Acts 1, 8. I am a what? I'm a witness, so I should... I should testify. I should witness. I know it's like, can I use the same word in the same definition? English teachers just breathe. It's okay. You know, definitions in the definition. It's all right. Okay. I'm a witness, so I should witness. What about this one? How would you fill it in? Look at the verse and then. Okay. I'm an ambassador, so I should. That, I, I think that's a great word. Represent. You know, because I, I was trying to figure out how could I ambassify. Yeah, it doesn't work. Okay, but I should, I should represent because it is an ambassador. And, and again, sometimes in my decades of being a Christian, I miss out on the coolness of some of this. God of the universe says, hey, you're my ambassador. I don't care where your political affiliations lie. If any president asks you to be an ambassador, you're going to be like, what, me? You, you want me to go where? On behalf of this country? Oh, okay. Far greater than any president, the God of the universe says, you're my ambassador. You get to go. You get to tell people. You get to represent me. What about this one? I'm a what? Fisher, so I should 
Fish. Okay, great. See y'all later. I'm going. Now, it's, it's, it's not just a kid's song. It's a, it's a calling upon people's lives by Jesus Christ that says, go, go fish for men. Go let them know of what Jesus Christ has done. What about Matthew 5? I am a light, so I should shine. Okay, we don't hide our, we don't hide our gospel under a bushel. We don't, we don't just look and say, well, well, we'll just let it shine bright in the walls of Faith Baptist Church. I am to take my light and the light of the gospel out to the community where darkness is. Where, does light, where is light, light best served? In the dark. And yet we love our light shining bright with other lights. And, and there's, don't get me wrong, there's a definite, we'll talk about fellowship and responsibility and how church is important. But if we only ever shine our light here, We're not, we're not penetrating the darkness. The gospel is designed to go to the darkness. That's what we are to be doing. We fish where there are fish. We shine our light where there is darkness. And so he's getting to that. And I, I, I like the idea of being commissioned. So why do, what is our motivation? The first one he gives is because we have been commissioned by God. We've been accredited. We've been authorized. We've been licensed, appointed. Take whatever, whatever you know, synonym you want to that idea of commission. But it's all pretty cool when you think about that's what God has called you, moved us, directed us to be doing. He's selected, he's authorized you and I to be ambassadors, to represent him. That ought to be motivation enough to go, to tell. Yeah, I, I understand it's, it's nerve-wracking. It is. And yet God says, I'm with you, always. No matter where you're at, I, I gotcha. Yeah, you're still going to get the lump in your throat. Yeah, you're still going to get dry in the mouth. But that's okay. He'll help. So first motivation is the Great Commission. Done in obedience to Christ. But the second one they give in the, in the book here, as you, as you continue on, uh, page 201 or 200, he talks about having a genuine compassion. If we truly care about people, then we should be sharing the gospel. We should be letting them know. So how should compassion motivate evangelism? As you think about that, what would you, how would you answer it? How should compassion motivate evangelism, or why? There's a compassion for the soul. Having compassion in Jude, making a difference. We know that it's scriptural. Any other perspectives? Good. We were shown compassion. So therefore, we share compassion with others. Any other thoughts? When we, we look at it, think about the theological perspective. How are, how are people described in uh, Ephesians chapter 2? They were what? They were dead in their trespasses and sins. And, what, and once you first walked, that's Kevin talked about the compassion that we were shown because this is where we were. According to the prince, the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath and others. That at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. 
it's, it's, it's a depressing perspective when you start looking and saying, how does God describe an unsaved person? Dead in their trespasses and sin. No hope without God. Away from the promises that God has given. There's, there's all of that there. And I look and say, wait, I was not that person. What is he saying? Jesus says, the Son of Man came to do what? Seek and save that which was lost. The condition of mankind alone ought to drive us to be compassionate for them. Because yes, we're saved. Yes, we're safe from that wrath. But what about our neighbor, our friend, our coworker? If we truly understand the theological depth and believe that hell is just as real as heaven, compassion drives us to share. If I care about where they're at, I have to care more about sharing the gospel than I do about maybe losing that friendship because their destiny is not joyful. Their destiny is not pleasant. And that's why Christ, it says, why did they come? Why did Christ come? He came to seek them out, actively going to save them, to provide that way. Now, when we, we look at that, and we all know there are, there are some potential obstacles. Why do you think it is, you know, before we move on and plow forward, what are some reasons believers neglect? We, we understand the compassion we need to be sharing. We understand the commission that we need to be. But why do we neglect that? Fear. I think that's very much a real perspective. Response. Afraid of their response. How they're going to respond to us. Rejection. It's here it comes. And you, isn't it amazing? We always assume that we're going to be rejected, don't we? We never assume that that person's going to get saved. We assume we will be rejected. And yet, what did, the, what did Jesus Christ come to do? He, you know he's working. The Holy Spirit's working. But we always assume we're going to be rejected. Any other perspectives? Why, why do believe neglect? Okay, maybe the lack of conviction to go forward. Yeah, I, they're, they're going to point out stuff in my life. And I feel like a what? I feel like a hypocrite. So therefore, because I know I'm going to feel like a hypocrite, I'm not going to share. Any others? There's a lack of love, the lack of compassion. It's all about me and my family. We're good. We're, we're fine. The ones I really, really care about are all good. So hopefully they figure it out and God sends somebody their way. Do I see another? Yeah, we're, we're laden with other things. There's the politics going on. We're really concerned about speaking out. We get busy with life, with all the things that consume us. There's, there's a lot of different perspectives that we can take and look and say, well, that's just, that's what stops me. But he, he goes on in the, in the book here, talks about something. The first one, Nate, as you pointed out, hypocrisy. We're too embarrassed to share the gospel because the way we live doesn't support our truth claim. That the God of the universe has said, do X, Y, and Z and live this way. And we're like, if I say, they're going to throw it right back in my face. That's why Peter talks about in our study in First Peter, he talks about living righteously that they may see your good works and glorify the God in the day of visitation. And then later on, he's going to talk about sharing, sharing your hope, verbally sharing it. 
because they're both, they both go hand in hand. But we need to be living that, that righteous life so that as people see that, they're inspired, they're inspired by it. Matthew even says it, let, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, glorify your Father which is in heaven. Fear prohibits. It's, it's probably, I would agree with him, the most common hindrance to sharing the gospel. We look and we say, oh, I, I can't. I don't know enough. I'm, I'm not good at remembering. I don't have all those verses memorized. That's okay. Have them written down somewhere. These things are used for so many negative things. Use them for some positive things. Put it on, put it on and put some verses on there. Type it in on one of the notes apps and just have it ready so that you can talk with somebody about it. Proverbs says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoso puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Again, going back to that idea that God's with us. He's protecting. He's commissioning us to go. It reminds me of, do you remember when uh, uh, Nehemiah is coming back to, the, to build the walls? And what does he ask uh, the king of Persia to do? He says, give me, give me some papers. Remember that? Why did he want those papers? Prove he had the king's authority. That, and because of that, it provided protection. It provided all of that. So as he went, he's like, I am, I am an ambassador of the king. And I have this protection. This is the same perspective Christ is using. Yes, we go. There's, there was fear in Nehemiah. And he was concerned. We still go out with concern. But yet, we go with the, with the papers, with the, the stamp of approval of our God saying you're my ambassador and you're going with my authority and my protection as you, as you go forward in life. What about the disciples' prayer amidst persecution in Acts 4.29? What do they pray? And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto us thy servants that with all boldness they may speak the word. Do we live and are we living more in a time that we see the gospel being persecuted, slash oppressed, slash ridiculed, slash whatever term you want to use. You know, as Mayor pointed out, we could easily back away because we're concerned about how they might come against us or what threatenings might happen to us. And yet the disciples' prayer was very clearly, Lord, give us boldness in these hard times. Give us the, the, the will, the determination, the desire to in the midst of those people ridiculing and spitting in my face and declaring my, my ways stupid and ludicrous, give me the boldness to proclaim the truth of the word. Fear to speak out is certainly real. I'm never, you'll never hear me say, oh, get over it. There's no such thing. We all, we all experience it. However, it is not an excuse for us to be silent. We need to be sharing the gospel. Enter into the straight gate. If we truly believe this, the words of Jesus Christ here, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to what? So that means there's a whole lot of people going where, theologically? Hell. Does that concern you? And if it concerns us, then what do we do? Be quiet, say nothing, say, I don't, you know, there's other people who do that type of stuff. 
Many people who are on the wide road to eternal destruction demands that you move past your personal ambitions and give a bold warning to lost friends, family members, and acquaintances. It has to move us in that direction. It should cast us into great distresses to see many men in such plain danger of being everlastingly undone. And if we by faith did indeed look upon them as within a step of hell, it would more effectively untie our tongues. Read through that again, just thinking about it. What this preacher, Richard Baxter, was saying. It's sobering to think that the people in our communities are on that road. Sure, there are some that are not. But there are definitely coworkers that you have. I, mine are, I think, all good. You have, <clears throat> they're on that road. We all have neighbors that are on that path. Some of you are in different phases of life where you're in and out of hospitals, at doctor's offices, and those nurses, those doctors, some of them are on that road. You're interacting with people at work that are on that road. And yet we can sit here and be very glad that our light is shining here bright. And yet light shines in darkness. Monasticism then, and I, I, I like that he's, again, remember this, this is coming out of an area that is like 95% Catholic. That's where he's writing from that perspective. So he's using that term monasticism intentionally. And yet... I think there's some validity to it. The religious men and women through the centuries have demonstrated a supposed godliness by leaving the normal life of the world and entering monasteries. We're, we're, we're not doing that per se. It's unbiblical, but many Christians have placed themselves in a modern monastery. We allow, our, we allow ourselves into this, this way where we don't interact with unsaved. We keep ourselves completely away from them and we just have our holy huddle every week. And all those other people, well, we'll interact economically with them. We'll interact socially when we have to, but let's not interact on a spiritual perspective because we don't want to be tainted. The problem is we may not want to be tainted by them, but they need to be tainted by us. They need the Holy Spirit. They need what we have. The Bible, it calls for separation, but it never calls for isolation. We are to be insulated from the world we're not supposed to espouse every worldview that comes in and just say, okay, no big deal. We are to be in the world. Spurgeon said, those men who keep themselves to themselves like hermits and live supposed sanctified lives of self-absorption are not likely to have any influence in this world or to do good to their fellow creatures. You must love the people and mix with them if you are to be any service to them. We need to be in the communities. We need to find ways to interact and to be involved. Christ says that he goes out. And remember what he was criticized for in Matthew 9? What did he do? He ate with what? Publicans and sinners. A number of commentaries I read on this, this passage, they were talking about that this party is not just like, okay, they just got together and ate a couple things, but it was a party with sinful people, 
not, not, a, not, not the church gathering, fellowship. And so there was a good possibility that there were things that, you know, the, the normal Christian groups wouldn't sanctify. Like, why is Jesus at a party where there's potentially drinking at? Oh no, that can't be right. That, why is he there with all these people? And they, these publicans and sinners, they're known for hanging with, with women with loose morals and they were maybe at the party. And you can start looking and you could see how quickly in our holy huddles, we could look at Jesus and go, thumb the nose, what's up with you? And yet Jesus is like, they're the ones who need the gospel. So I'm going to be involved in some ways. He wasn't taking part. He wasn't, you know, allowing himself to be uh, involved in, but yet he was present and he was interacting and he was working in such a way. Lots of implications of these accusations. And yet Christ looks and he's still doing it. He's still involved. We've pulled away, I fear, so many times from all the people of the world because we, we do. We want our kids to be pure. We want our kids to be holy. We want our lives. And so we, we move as far away from the proverbial cliff as possible, and yet all the people are near the cliff jumping off. But we're going to stay as far away as, as possible. The, his response, you remember his response? Jesus said this, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go you and learn what they meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus understood that the holy huddle was not the final answer. He's like, I, I, gotta, I, I gotta get out and go, go with these people. I, I have to interact with them because in order to interact with them, then they get to hear the gospel. They get to hear what they, they need, the change that needs to take place. It's not wrong for you to go and spend time with unsaved individuals. You need to. Be wise, but do that. Every relationship into which one enters should become an evangelistic opportunity. Look for those opportunities. Let's, let's talk practically. From your pers- what are some practical ways that we can develop friendships like this with unsaved people? Anyone? What's that? Workplace. What, beyond the workplace, Mike, I'll pick on you for a second. What, what, what do you do every day at work in the middle of the day? You get a what? Lunch break. Okay, can you, can you go, can you maybe, for those of you who have an extended lunch period, hour, whatever, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, go, I don't go with the coworkers because sometimes they drink. That's, that's what unsafe people, yeah, it happens. Can you maybe go one day for lunch with them? Be wise, okay. I get it, but could you interact with them? What else? Other thoughts? What's it? Join what? Yeah, join clubs, organizations that are in, in our local community. What else? Hobbies. What about hobbies? You build. Okay. I don't have any hobbies. Sorry. Actually, my hobby is hunting, and I get alone in a tree away from people. <laughs> The deer need Jesus. No. <laughs> okay. Um, not just, not just like, maybe it's taking a hobby, learning a hobby. Maybe for some of you who are really skilled, maybe you could offer to teach your hobby. No, that's my alone time. It's when I go to my man cave or my, you know, my she cave now, what is, what is, she shed, you know, and, and you go and, and you've got your alone time. 
Well, maybe you find out your neighbor's really interested in horticulture like you are, and you could maybe help teach her. You know, or maybe they're really good at woodworking, you're good at woodworking, and your neighbor's always like, oh, I wish I could learn how to make, hey, why don't you come over and let me teach you? Let me show you how to do this. Now you're building, building those relationships. You can eat with non-Christians. You're not, you're not going to hell if you eat with non-Christians, okay? I'll just make, make that clear. All right, what about walking? Maybe you walk through your neighborhood and you start praying for your neighbors. Maybe you don't walk at the speed pace, but you take a leisurely stroll so that when you walk by your neighbor, you can actually rather be, <sighs> okay, yeah, good to see you. You go a little bit slower and you can maybe, hey, how are you doing? You know, I see what I walk by, your name is, oh, hi, Jim, nice to meet you, you know? And you, you start to strike up a conversation. Maybe it starts with prayer walks that happen in your neighborhood. You start going, be a regular at places. Okay, some of you are regulars at coffee shops. You lo- America runs on coffee. It doesn't run on Dunkin' Donuts. It just runs on caffeine. Um, but, but maybe it's that. Maybe it's your lunchtime regular at this sub shop, or you always go to this gas station, and you start to interact. A good, a good way you can know you're a regular is when you walk in, and you're like, oh, do you want, and they, they say your order for you. You know that you're probably a regular at that place. Go on a consistent basis. Talk with the waitresses. Talk with the waiters. Be respectful, okay? Leave a good tip if you're going to share the gospel with them and then give them a quarter. That doesn't, that doesn't work, okay? Learn a new hobby or a new skill. Teach one. Volunteer. There's lots of places in our community that could use volunteers at times. Go to community events. Look for opportunities to be involved. It's not, it's not in, and I understand where we've, we've swung sometimes in Christianity to be concerned, well, if I just go and do a community event and don't get to share the gospel, then I'm not, I'm being part of the, the um, theology that talks about, well, I'll just do good works and people will get saved through my good works. No, it's just giving us opportunities to rub shoulders, to interact with them, to find those opportunities. Serve your neighbors, lots of leaves to be raked over the next leaves to be blown. Maybe you're the one who's got the really cool leaf blower or the thing that sucks up all the leaves and those of us who don't have that wish our neighbor would come over and serve us, okay? Maybe you can have that opportunity. Don't come over to my house this week and do my lawn. I'll feel bad. Um, <laughs> serve, serve your neighbors. Hang out with your coworkers. You can do that after. Like I, I know some of, the, some of the young adults have been really encouraging. They, they go afterwards for, hey, you want to go for coffee after work? interacting with, their, with their, their coworkers. They engage in it. Go to, go to your kids' sporting events. Go to your grandkids' sporting events. Go to other people's kids' sporting events. That's one thing I, man, you want to have opportunities. I've loved that Dylan and Zach are involved in, we have them involved in a, a public volleyball league. Man, you want to talk about opportunities to rub shoulders with unsaved, and you, you learn very quickly, yep, they're not saved because that word ain't coming out of any believer's mouth. And you're like, well, it shouldn't be. And you're like, quickly, you're like, okay. But now, all of a sudden, you get those interactions, the, those opportunities to now see that and to, to, to do that. Coach a sports team. Get involved in a little league. Some of you have done that through the years. Maybe you could go over to LVC. They, they look for opportunities. They have a huge international students program. And every once in a while, we have international students who come here from LVC. Maybe, maybe it's getting involved and saying, hey, is there anything I can do? International students, there's Thanksgiving coming up. Hey, can we have some of the international students over and show them an American Thanksgiving? Rather than just being about, you know, look, look for opportunities. What about a Christmas cookie bake? We, you know, it's, it's Christmas time coming up. 
What about talking to a couple of your neighbors and saying, hey, why don't we take a Saturday and let's all make cookies together and then split them up and we can all take different ones home and do that. And now, now you've got like an eight hour day of baking cookies, but it's with an intention of, hey, we're going to get to know each other, find out. And it doesn't have to be, they walk in the door, okay, where are your ingredients? Good. You know what? Jesus loves you and you need to get saved. Just build some relationships. Start there. But say, this is going to be important. What are some excuses we make for not being evangelistic? We talked about, I don't have time, resources, unsaved, you know, none of my business. It's a private matter. I don't want to get involved in it. I don't want to lose a friend. I, I serve in other ways, not evangelism. I do other stuff. Uh, I give money to missions, so that fulfills my obligations to evangelism. I just pray. Prayer is important, and I understand that there are times in our life where that is all you're physically able to do. But there's a lot of us who sometimes use that excuse and we're physically able to be involved in that. I just live a Christian life and it's, it's all good. So the passage, and it goes on, we don't have time to keep going right now, but just, just think about evangelism. Let's start being intentional of getting outside of here and into our communities and then looking and saying, hey, as the time comes and you start building these relationships, would you, would you be interested in reading the Bible with me? It doesn't even have to start with a Bible study. Just say, hey, would you be interested in reading the Bible together with me sometime? Well, what do you mean? Oh, we'll just sit down, we'll, we'll read you know, some parts of it, and we'll talk about it. Start in the Gospel of John. Great place to start. Interact with them. You know, look, all of a sudden you're in that conversation with your, the person at the sports game or at the, the cookie bake. You're like, you know, I've had a lot of questions about Christianity. Do you have any, any way that you can? Yeah, I do. Actually, we have a Bible study that we do at church, and I would love to take you through one-on-one. And we can just sit down, and we can go through, and you can start going here. Start in page, page one, and you can do it. I'm, I'm thoroughly convinced across, looking across this room and knowing where most of you are at theologically and spiritually, you can do this book. Hands down. And you may look and say, There's us. there will maybe moments where you say, I can't. Come and ask us. That's what we're here for. That's part of our, that's where we get to build you up to do the work of the ministry. That's what we want to see as pastors. Having you take that ownership to say, let's be involved in fulfilling the Great Commission. Let's go out and make disciples. All right, we're going to wrap up there and we're going to head toward our worship time.